We are in the final chapter of the book of Jonah this morning. Jonah chapter 4, and if you're new with us, I would encourage you to read the first three chapters. It'll take you about probably five to ten minutes. It's a great story filled with insight about who we are as people and who God is. So Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. So we're starting chapter 4 with an angry person. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. All right, this is what Jonah's angry about. You just read it, just for the record. He's angry at God because God is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. We should all be angry at God, right? Talk about self-pity, self-absorption. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Someone take out the violin. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered you know what's going to happen to Jonah, right? When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. God took away his air conditioning unit, and this is his response. And it's supposed to kind of be, it's, there's part of this book that's supposed to be funny. But God said to Jonah again, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. If anyone has a petulant three-year-old at home, you know how God feels. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Just spoiler alert, the book of Jonah is not about the whale. And I know the last word in the book of Jonah is cattle. It's not about the cattle either. That was probably a reference to the economy and the well-being of its citizens. So I want to, you to just take a second and imagine with me that next Sunday, 
You show up and you see that your regular seat and your regular pew is taken. Everyone gasp. <gasps> Not only is your regular seat and your regular pew taken, your backup seat in your backup pew is taken. There's no space in the pews and there is no standing room. But this is not unique to FPC. It's not just our church. It's every church in Fairfield, Easton, Shelton, and Bridgeport, filled beyond capacity. And at the end of church services, all across Fairfield County, in total, 120,000 people not only come back to church, but return to faith in Jesus Christ. Your skeptical kids, your uninformed grandkids, your atheist neighbors, your agnostic friends, your angry boss, they have a sincere change of heart. How would you feel walking at a church that Sunday? What would you say? Maybe there would be a bit of awe, wonder, gratitude. Maybe you'd think to yourself, if you're a history person, you'd think back to the Great Awakening in New England, and maybe you'd think to yourself, I witnessed another great awakening in my day, a move of God. This is the type of great awakening, revival, move of God, whatever language you want to use to describe it, that Jonah experienced at the end of chapter 3. Only it wasn't in New England, it was in Nineveh, in modern-day Iraq. And after running away from God, being saved by a whale, Jonah went to Nineveh as the Lord had sent him, and he preaches a five-word message, five Hebrew words. And after one day of preaching, 120,000 people confess their sins, turn away from their sins, and turn back to God. Jonah witnesses perhaps what was one of the greatest revivals in all of human history. And Jonah's a prophet, he's a preacher, he's a believer. And so if you're a preacher or a prophet or a pastor or a believer, this is the moment that you live for as a spiritual person. This is like Jonah winning the Super Bowl. And so what do you think Jonah's reaction is to the supernatural power of God, to seeing a city changed and being a part of that. We would all expect Jonah to jump for joy, but as we read in chapter 4, the start of chapter 4, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Why is Jonah so angry, right? It actually makes no sense for Jonah to be angry. Yet, if you missed the first three chapters, it's okay because the entire story takes us to this point. This is what the entire book is about. God loves Nineveh. 
Jonah hates Nineveh. God forgives Nineveh. Jonah condemns Nineveh. Why? And Jonah was, was used as a prophet in Israel. He was used during a time of prosperity and, and spiritual revival. And, and we have no record of Jonah being angry about such revivals and changes and transformation in the nation of Israel. So why is his reaction different when God moves, when God saves, when God forgives, when God loves those in modern day Iraq, those in Nineveh? The Ninevites were pagans, not Jews. To Jonah, he saw those people and he saw an enemy religion. The Ninevites were descendants of Nimrod, not Abraham. To Jonah, they were an inferior race. The Ninevites were Assyrians, not Israelites. And to Jonah, they were members of a hostile nation. And here's what it comes down to for Jonah. And this, this is how they spoke in Jonah's day within Israel. This is how they spoke through the times of Jesus. They saw the Ninevites as Gentile dogs, not as children of God. They saw them deserving of God's judgment, not of God's grace. And what biblical scholars, both liberal and conservative, universally acknowledge is that during this time in Israel, racism, nationalism, and religious discrimination had been normalized and accepted. Racism, nationalism, and religious discrimination had been normalized and accepted. And we know this continues for centuries to the time of Jesus. This is why Jesus tells the parable of the good Samaritan. The ones you look down upon, judge, discriminate against, your neighbor are worthy of God's love because God loves them as much as God loves you or any other human being. This is countercultural. The Bible in the Old and New Testament is speaking against the cultural consciousness. And the story of Jonah is a warning to all believers, all followers of God. And it's supposed to challenge the way we see and treat people of other races, religions, and nations. God's kingdom and God's love is for all. I know we're Presbyterian, but I feel like an amen would would be in order in this case. So Jesus says this in Luke 6. He says that out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. And so in chapter 4, the poison in Jonah's heart comes out of his mouth. See, Jonah's the anti-hero. And here is Jonah's angry prayer. Verse 2, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country. Whose country is it? God's, but it's his country, he says. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, 
Please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. This is what he's saying. You're so loving, O Lord, it makes me want to die. And based on God's previous actions, do you think that God's going to honor Jonah's request to give in to this sort of divine euthanasia? It seems based on this story in the entire Bible that the Lord is in the business of saving people. And here's what's ironic about Jonah's angry prayer. Jonah is quoting from Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. And this is the most quoted verse in the entire Bible, Exodus 34. And God says this, he reveals himself with these words to Moses on Mount Sinai. And this is what the Lord says about himself in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Here's the ironic part. Well, you know that these words were said in the book of Exodus. And so if you know anything about the book of Exodus, you know that the Israelites were in the wilderness. And you probably know this story. It's one of the most famous stories in, in the entire Bible. Moses goes up on to the top of Mount Sinai and he receives the Ten Commandments. You remember that story. And while Moses is meeting with the Lord, do you remember what the nation of Israel, the Israelites were doing in the meantime? Were they praising the Lord, singing songs of praise to their God, pledging their devotion to the Lord, being faithful? No, they came up with the great idea of making a golden calf and worshiping that calf. It's like as soon as Moses was able to write down, do not commit adultery, even before, the Israelites were already breaking the second commandment. And it's because of God's grace, his mercy, that he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love that the Lord did not punish them for their wickedness and their rebellion and their sin. Instead, the Lord relented from disaster and continued with them and brought them faithfully into the promised land. So the reason that the nation of Israel exists is because of who God is and what God does. They benefited from the grace and mercy and love of the Lord. God Almighty. Now let's talk about Jonah, innocent Jonah. You know the story of Jonah. Jonah was faithful, right? That's how he ended up in the belly of the whale. He was simply obeying the Lord. He took the Lord God Almighty at his word and he obeyed God the first time. Amen? No! The reason he ends up in the whale is because he's a rebel and a runaway that he disobeys the Lord God Almighty. Jonah is saved. Jonah exists. Israel exists because of the grace, the love, the mercy, the patience of God. You understand why people don't like religious people? You know the word, hypocrisy. So what we have here is a self-righteous, entitled hypocrite. And I know that God is gracious and merciful and abounding in love, and so... Hopefully I'll see Jonah in heaven one day and I'll apologize for all the name calling, but this is how he's portrayed in the story and this is who he was at his worst. So Jonah is angry with God for doing the same thing for Nineveh that God had done for Jonah personally and Israel corporately. And so the Lord comes to him with a question. I love reading about Jesus because whenever people object to him, right, he always starts with 
a question. And so this is what the Lord does. He says, do you do well to be angry? How's it working out for you being so angry? That's, that might be a good question for, for some of you to ask yourself or others in your household. Are you happy being angry? Another way that this verse can be interpreted is, are you right to be angry? Is your anger justified? The Bible doesn't say that it's a sin to be angry. The Bible does say, in your anger, do not sin. So when you're angry today or this week, just ask yourself, am I angry about something that makes God angry? Or am I angry, as in this case, about something that makes God glad? Verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth, a tent for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. How many of you are already planning your menu on Super Bowl Sunday? For my wife and I, this, this has become a very real discussion. We understand there's only so much space in our stomachs, so we want to make good use of that four or five hours of eating on Super Bowl Sunday. And some of you might pull up a chair as we're going to pull up a chair for about four or five hours and watch the game, and you may or may not know who's playing in the game, but you're going to sit and you're going to watch and you'll probably pick someone to root for. Jonah went out of the city and for 39 days... He sat and he watched, and he's rooting for judgment, for fire to fall on Nineveh. And the Lord sees his anger and his hate. The Lord knows that he's being judged by Jonah. And what does God do in his graciousness and his mercy and his love? The Lord tries to change his heart, and he's going to use an object lesson to change Jonah's heart. Verse 6, now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. That word discomfort means evil or wickedness as well. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. We have happy Jonah, finally. He's happy. He has a plant. He has shade. And if you've ever been to an outdoor concert or a sporting event on a really hot day, and you're sitting in the sun, don't you kind of look at the people sitting in the boxes in the shade and you, th you think to yourself, if I only had that seat, if I was only in the shade, this would be so much better. Well, God gives Jonah a seat in the shade, and Jonah is thrilled about the shade that this plant provides. Jonah rejoices in his creature comforts. But, here's the but, when dawn came up the next day, God's funny. God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, so it withered. Poor Jonah. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, so he was faint. So happy Jonah becomes sunburned, sunstroked, blistery head Jonah. He's back to being angry and mired in self-pity, and he says to God again, it's better for me to die than to live. I can't deal with the sun. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. 
So here's the, the reason that God gives Jonah the plant. And the Lord said, verse 10, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity, have compassion over Nineveh, that great city in which there are over 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left. They don't know right from wrong. They don't even know to turn to God. So if you're a gardener, I, I was a gardener before I moved here, we can get a bit obsessive about our plants. I particularly can get very obsessive over my tomato plants. And I will admit this willingly before you. I talk to my plants. I become emotionally upset when my plants start to wither. Uh, there's some sort of attachment that forms. My wife might even say, Greg loves his tomato plants. If you're a gardener, you understand. If you're not, don't judge us gardeners. That Jonah loves his plant. He's obsessed with his plant. He feels pity, compassion for his plant. He was probably giving his plant words of affirmation and encouragement as his plant was growing up and sprouting up before him. So he, he understands finally what it means to feel something for something else. And so God takes that empathy, that compassion he has for a plant, and God says, you see, this is how I feel about those people in Nineveh, 120,000 people. I created Nineveh in my image. They're my children. I sustain them. I, I've given them life. I weep for them. I'm the Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness and slow to anger, extending love to thousands. I love Nineveh. I desire them. I burn with compassion and love and mercy for them. I know that you see them as our enemies, but I see them and I love them. God feels differently about Nineveh than Jonah does, and he's trying to bring Jonah around to loving these people who he loves. I'll close here. Liz and I went to a pastor's workshop last Tuesday, and the pastor talked about a man named Frederick Douglass, and perhaps you, you've heard about Frederick Douglass. And Frederick Douglass, I, when he told this story, I thought, Frederick Douglass, he's the opposite of Jonah. He's the type of person that we're being called to emulate as Christians. He lived in the 1800s in this country. Frederick Douglass was a slave. He experienced horrific physical and racial abuse. If anyone had the right to be angry at God and angry at people and to live a judgmental, isolated, resentful life. It was Frederick Douglass toward his abusers. But instead, Douglass channeled his anger into a courageous fight to end slavery and secure human rights for millions of people. You know, Jesus Christ was the catalyst behind Douglass's transformation in his work to fight slavery. Here's an excerpt from Douglass's autobiography. He wrote this. 
in my loneliness and destitution, I longed for someone to who I could go to as father and protector. The preaching of a white Methodist minister was the means of causing me to feel that in God I had such a friend. I consulted a good colored man named Charles Lawson, and in tones of holy affection, he told me to pray and to cast all my cares upon God. This I sought to do, and through, and for weeks, I was a poor, broken-hearted mourner. I finally found my burden lightened and my heart relieved. You see, Douglas had his moment of spiritual awakening. He turned to God, and here was the result of the love of God, his faith in God. He said, I loved all mankind, slaveholders not excluded, though I abhorred slavery more than ever. I saw the world in a new light, and my great concern was to have everybody converted. The good old man told that the Lord had great work for me to do, and I must prepare to do it. Frederick Douglass became one of the most unstoppable forces to end slavery in the United States. He described the horrors of slavery to northern audiences. And a few times, slave masters tried to burn the lecture halls where Douglass was speaking. It was his faith in Jesus Christ that motivated him to go to his Nineveh and proclaim freedom for those held captive. So, the book of Jonah ends without a conclusion. We don't know what became of Jonah. Did he choose love or hate? Did he choose peace or anger? Did he choose to serve God or to serve his own interests? There's no conclusion because it summons you to write the end of this story with the story of your life. Will you choose the Jonah way or the Jesus way? Will you love your neighbor, your enemy as yourself, or just yourself and yours? God is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. It's our time to repent and to love as we have been loved by Christ. This week, serve someone you oppose. Love someone you've judged. Go to Nineveh and bless someone who's different from you. And through you, may they see the God who is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. May it be so. Amen.